Thanks for tuning in to Seven Figure Fitness Business. We've got some awesome questions that are extremely relevant when you are beginning to go online in your fitness business. So if you've had a successful business, personal training, face-to-face, and you're looking to know how to go online successfully, these are going to be some really relevant questions because we get asked these all the time. Now, what we've done is we've chosen two questions about marketing, which Andrew G is going to answer, two about sales, which I'm going to answer, and two about either delivery systems or fulfillment systems for your program, which of course, Iggy is going to answer. So as we're going through, feel free to ask questions in the comments section and we'll get to them at the end. The first question is for Mr. Andrew G and it is, what's the most important things that I need to know and do before I start running Facebook ads? paid ads online. So everyone, you know, eventually everyone's goal should be that they want to run paid ads because paid ads is the way that you're going to scale your business, right? And, you know, in order to really have success with paid ads, you really need a brand behind you. You need, you know, you need a niche. You need something that people are going to like. At the end of the day, people aren't going to spend money on you unless they like you, your product, unless you have something that they want effectively. So the first thing you can have to do is really understand what it is that you're going to give to your customers and you know how it's packaged because it's all very good and well like someone can easily have the best program in the world right and you know you you know you see this all the time in gyms you know big buzz at a big box gym for example and there are so many great trainers there but they weren't able to market so they were empty and that's the same as the online world if you can't market yourself and you can't let people know exactly what's in your program and how great it is and the results that you get your um, clients providing testimonials, you're never really going to be able to have true success with paid ads. So the very first thing to do is to get yourself a working model, something that you know you feel confident in so that when you do push it, you're not going to be burning your money. No, that's great. So what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to go through these quite quickly, guys. Um, so if there is any back and forth between the three of us, that'll be fine. But I think in this case, that's answered very clearly and succinctly. So we're going to move on now onto my first question, which is why is it so important to one call close in high ticket fitness sales calls? Now, we learned this the hard way with hypothyroid body transformation, our fitness business. And I believe, Iggy, you would probably be the same. When you have an extended follow-up for a program that is approximately $2,000, in fitness, it ends up being incredibly detrimental to your entire team in terms of profitability, efficiency, and also in terms of, yeah, basically just time. It's it's a huge time impactor. When you have to follow people up for a follow-up call, in fitness, what happens is probably about 80% of people ghost you. They just, because of conflict avoidance, They do not show up to the follow-up call. So you're left trying again and again and again. And we got to the point where our marketing systems were so effective that we were having to get salespeople to block out time where they would be getting new and stronger, warmer uh, lead appointments because they were trying to follow up leads that were basically no-showing and just being rude and ghosting. So what what we decided was to have a policy where Unless people were in a situation where they absolutely had a legitimate reason to not close on that first call, we just didn't let them. 
And so we brought in our action taker discount and we stick to it very, very strongly. If someone will not sign on the first call, they miss that discount, simple as that, unless they have a very, very legit financial reason or a very legit partner excuse where it's literally going against their relationship dynamic and they're going to get in trouble. Now, what has that done for us? We close a lot more sales. Sometimes we push back a little bit and we get told to go F ourselves. No, not really, but you know, people don't like it. And when that happens though, we're obviously very polite. We accept that and we take it as a loss. And I would estimate that every time we go into one of those battles, about 50% of the time we make the sale and we get to help that person. The rest of the time when we were doing it the other way, we would probably close only 10% of the follow-ups and we'd have all the extra time required. It's a mathematical equation. It's a no-brainer. Iggy, your question is, how many clients should I be able to have and service in my program before I need to think about hiring my first coach? Yeah, I mean, this is really, this can be one of those questions that kind of depends on what you really enjoy doing in your business. But even if you're feeling drained by the fact that you're coaching and you'd rather focus on doing sales or you'd rather focus on the marketing aspect of your business, you should be able to comfortably manage and deliver a high-level service to 50 to 70 clients as the business owner doing it yourself if you have a proper system. Now, a lot of you guys may hear 50 to 70 and your minds or your, your jaws on the ground and you're just like having an anxiety attack just thinking about <laughs> managing that many people because right now, 15 to 20 clients is a full-time job. If 15 to 20 clients is a full-time job for you right now, there is something seriously wrong with your current model. It's broken and extremely inefficient. Right. And that's as a business owner, I was able to comfortably manage about 70 clients on my own while taking calls, while doing the messaging, while doing the marketing, all those different things. And that's because I had a really good fulfillment system. So as a business business owner, if you have a good fulfillment system, you should be able to comfortably manage 50 to 70 clients before you start to feel really overwhelmed and burnt out. Yeah. So if, say, for example, if you're, and this is something I just want to add to this, if you're a business owner who's doing 10K online, right, per month, and you're doing 30 hours a week, and you have a goal to get to 30K per month, mathematically, that's, that's impossible, right? You're going to be working 90 hours a week with the current state of play. So things have to change. And I think this is such a powerful question, Iggy, because so many people come into our program and they're just blown away by the efficiency that you can create. And it allows them to really leverage things so that they can then have, say, you know, 70 clients, 90 clients, whatever, and then work 30 to 40 hours a week. And it makes the profitability of their business so much more than what it is when they're stuck at that lower level. Absolutely. And when you have a system, a really dialed in fulfillment system, there's so many ways you can create leverage to where I'm not even going to kind of go in it because those are like more like higher level type stuff. But with a system gives you the ability to have leverage and have assets that are working for you 24 seven. I like to call them robotic employees. Right. And if you don't have a fulfillment system that has those different assets that are being automated and delivering things to your clients on autopilot, you are being extremely inefficient and you're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to feel burnt out and you're just going to feel like quitting simply because the online space, if you don't have it done right, it's a worse prison than a nine to five. <laughs> and nine to five has an ending when you clock out. With the online, it's 24 seven if you don't do it right. <laughs> so, yeah. 
<laughs> I've been there and it sucks. <laughs> That's why I can speak so clearly on it. But uh, if you want to be able to do it, you need to, you, you should be in a place where you can comfortably manage 50 to 70 clients. And that's, if you're not able to do that, there's something wrong with your system and your current process. Yeah. What you do isn't just about making more money because some people that we know in the program, they were actually making quite good money. They just hated their life because they were doing things that they didn't want to do. And so sometimes you can lean on a system to reduce or replace those types of, you know, potentially unpleasant tasks and make it so that they don't need to be done by a human anymore. It's completely unnecessary for a lot of those things. Exactly. And those are the things where you want to identify. There's probably 15 things that you're doing manually right now that you can easily delegate to an automated system and never have to do it again. Yeah. Can you even list like two or three of those? Because that way people get a concept of what we're talking about. So you can automate the check-ins, the follow-ups. You can automate the reminders. You can automate program delivery. You can automate emails. You can automate custom nutrition. I'm talking like custom personalized nutrition. Yes, you can automate that. (laughs) You can automate just about anything that you want. You can automate the tracking from week to week. You can automate follow-ups. You can automate so many different things in the back end that is absolutely ridiculous. You can automate referral requests, review requests. (laughs) I'm telling you, literally, the list goes on in terms of what you can do on the back end. And a lot of you are probably doing your check-ins manually, you're probably doing your, your custom nutrition manually, you're probably doing the workouts manually, you're probably doing your follow-ups manually. All those things can easily be outsourced with the system. It's amazing. Now, we, ha- we are getting questions, guys. We're not ignoring you. We're just going to answer them all at the end so we get a bit of flow here. So we're going to go on to our second marketing question for G, which is, how much money do I need to spend on Facebook ads per day if I'm just getting started? I'm going to put some context, um, create some context, you know, because this has become quite a discussion online and you often hear a lot of fit pro coaches going out there and saying, oh, you have to make $10,000 per month organically before you should be spending any money on paid ads, which is something that I completely, completely disagree with. Um, and the reason is like what's been created here is this kind of mentality of like, all right, well, you, you, you make, you know, you're creating money organically. Now you have to spend $100 a day for ads which is just simply not the case. It's kind of like a black or white thing. But, you know, why not learn the process of creating ads and start small? We've had clients come in and spend as little as $5 a day. And of $5 a day, you're learning the process and you're slowly introducing it because paid ads is a skill. You know, just like anything else that you learn, riding a bike, whatever it is, it's something that you're going to learn over time. So there's actually huge advantages to starting at a small scale while you kind of cut your teeth and you learn what you need to do. So in answer to the question, it's like, you know, sure, you can spend more. If you spend more money on paid ads per day, you're going to learn faster. You're going to get to the outcome fast because you're going to have more history. You're going to have more data. But I'd very much be saying um, to people, hey, look, like once you have your branding sorted, once you feel confident in the product that you've got, that custom, you know, people are going to want and love what you have, you know, spending money on ads is just the next thing that's going to allow your business to scale faster. Yeah. So I'm going to give an example, Jay, or ask, ask a bit of a follow-up question. Let's say I am face-to-face, maybe working as a PT, personal trainer in a gym. I'm a contractor. I'm not made of money at this stage, but I've got big ambitions. I'm coming in. I want to get started with paid ads under the advice of an expert like yourself. What am I mm-hmm. roughly looking to spend if money really isn't something that I have a lot of at this stage? Yeah. Like I, I generally rec- recommend that like a good starting point when you're going in um, setting up ads would be $20 a day. 
Yeah. Okay, great. And so the thing is like, obviously if someone comes in and they're, they're already crushing it and they have money in the bank, of course it makes sense that you're going to spend more money, but you don't have to be a baller, right? You don't have to be like walking around with Lambos and like gold chains hanging off your neck to start paid ads. It's just not like that. And that's the misconception that I guess is promoted by a lot of the organic programs, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you don't, like, you, you definitely don't need to do that. As I said, start with $20 a day, learn that's still, you know, that's $140 a week. You don't even have to spend that much, but you are going to learn the process. And once you, like, it is about proving, you know, figuring out a profitable model, right? How, you, you know, once you figure out that you're making money off the system with ads that you're using, you're then able to scale it. And whether you do that over spending $10 a day or whether you start spending $50 a day with that process, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter because you're still going to get to the outcome, right? And I like to gamify this sort of stuff. And learning ads and, you know, ads is a game in that you find that working model that gets you a five to one ROI. Once you find the five to one ROI, you start spending more money and more money. And the way I look at it is you want to spend as much money as you possibly can while you're hitting that KPI of getting five to one. And as long as you're doing that, you should spend more and more and focus on scaling. I was just gonna say, just kind of add to that. A lot of people are terrified and they just have they go, they start running ads with the wrong type of mindset where they're looking for they're running ads out of desperation, right? You don't want to be running ads out of like desperation, like because it is a game and you need to be able to approach it as such. And you need to be approaching it like I'm gathering data and I'm learning and developing this skill with the goal of getting it to a point where I'm getting profitable consistently. But if you're a beginner and you start running ads, don't look at it as like, oh, if I don't get this working, my life is over. I'm not, I'm like done. That's the worst mental space to be in when you're starting anything. So if you're starting out, it needs to be, you need to have a, the, the funds that you can comfortably invest into acquiring the data and learning that skill so that you can run them profitably and run them sustainably and not feel like your life is over. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So the, the the next sales question is something we hear all the time, which is how much should I charge for my online fitness program? Like a lot of people don't know how to package this and how long should it last? Now we've had a lot of, I guess, trial and error with this over the last four years. When Andrew and I started, we were doing a 12-week program. Then it became a 16-week. Then it became a 20-week. Now it's 24. What we're finding though, to be honest, is that with the recent times as well, with COVID, the economy around the world has definitely been impacted. So people's disposable incomes have been impacted as well. So what we've done is we've actually had a huge amount of success finding that the length of the program going up to anywhere around about the six-month mark, it doesn't seem to be any real pushback from the clients, provided that the monthly or the weekly cost doesn't go up, right? So if you can keep the monthly or the weekly cost at a reasonable amount without getting to like crazy levels that only the ultra-rich can afford, but you increase the length of your program, you have more time to help your customers, you have a longer relationship with them, and the average lifetime value of that customer goes up. So it really should be good all around. So we're currently recommending that most people start at six months. And as for the cost, as a rough cost, anywhere between about as low as 1000 up to about 3000 is about where it lies. So if we're talking in a monthly cost, we often recommend about $250 a month. That could be the USD, CAD, AUD, Australian dollars. That would be for like a bit more of an automated group-based program where they don't really get one-on-one. And then if they're getting one-on-one around about the sort of four to 500 
per month mark is about right. Now, what happens if you see some of the mentors out there that say that you should be charging 5K for 12 weeks? Well, I mean, you can do that. The truth is that there's just not a large amount of clients that will pay you that at a large scale. And so, although it's really amazing when you make one of those sales and you feel, you know, you feel amazing for that, we would find that from what we've tested, that the scalability and the reach and the growth of your business is going to be vastly limited. This is such a complex topic. So I want to throw it out to you boys. I mean, do you have anything you'd add to that? I think for me personally, you also got to factor in where those traffic sources are coming from. You know, mm-hmm. trying to sell somebody off cold traffic on a $5,000 fitness program, you're, you're, you're stacking the cards against yourself. And so, whereas if you're doing a one call close, and oftentimes we're closing our deals in less than 30 minutes, now let's say you have a, a program for 1500 that you're selling. If you're doing that in 30 minutes, in an hour, you're doing about $3,000 versus trying to sell somebody on a $5,000 program and running through a lot of missed opportunities to find that one sell. Whereas with a more reasonably priced package, you can sell five to 10 people a week easily if you have the volume, right? So that's how I kind of look at it. It's like, you want to kind of look at what's going to be reasonable. What do you feel like can you actually deliver without it costing your business more money? And that having a fulfillment system allows you to be able to offer those type of price ranges without it actually being any more uh, work for you to do. It's also going to be very niche dependent as well. Like, you know, for us, um, we focus on women who have thyroid problems in one of our businesses. Now, having thyroid problems, generally, you know, a lot of the time they're feeling, you know, they're tired, exhausted, depressed. A lot of the time that they don't have jobs. So they're pre-qualified to actually not have so much money. And because they don't have money, it means that we speak to a lot of people who are towards the bottom end. And we still have an extremely, extremely successful business, despite the fact that we're charging people on the lower end of a more of a mid-ticket price. You know, our price of that program, what do we charge for now? So it's still 1800 AUD, isn't it, AP? It depends. I mean, our premium, we charge about 2800 1800 But over different times, we charged less money for that. Like I think when we first started, we probably started 1200 And as we improved at our sales, we actually increased the price over time. And I think that's a really important aspect as well. Because, you know, if we started with 1800 back in the day when we first started the program, I'm sure we would have got a lot of no's on the sales calls. But, you know, part of this is obviously your market, who you're choosing, but also the quality of what you're doing. And it's so important that you treat everything that you're doing here as a game. Like there's so much skill involved in sales. There's so much skill involved in marketing. And starting a little bit smaller and getting deals over the line when you start is fine. And then once you've really cut your teeth again, then you can really think about increasing your prices. Yeah. So, I mean, 1800 that works out to be our foundation. That's our lower tier. And 2800 roughly is our is our top tier. So, I guess like the final thing I'm going to add to this as well, because this is I think sometimes we feel like we have to clean up a bit of a mess in the industry is that people come to us and they are not successful and they've been getting destroyed for the past X amount of time, be it months, years, whatever. And it's because a mentor that, you know, has a successful business coaching business, uh, but not a successful fitness business told them that they should be charging 5k for 12 weeks. Now you can do that. In fact, I've paid that myself before, uh, but I paid that for someone that had a huge amount of status. They had a very strong brand and when I say branding at this this level, I mean that you have to actually be known as an industry expert of the experts. You can't just go out and ch- charge large amounts of random people when you're just starting a fitness business, 5K for 12 weeks, and expect to have 
large amounts of success. I'm sure people can do it, but it's a very particular type of person who, who can do that. And I wouldn't say that you're playing the odds by starting at that price uh, range when nobody knows who you are. Exactly. If you, if you don't have a, a real presence and you're getting things going, like it doesn't make sense to start off at 5,000, right? Only because that pressure that you're going to be putting on yourself to deliver um, is going to be really high. If you're starting out, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Your process isn't going to be fine-tuned. Your system isn't going to be optimized. So you're really going to be fighting a subconscious battle where you have that imposter syndrome where you're, like, you're, char- you're trying to sell this uh, package for X amount and you really haven't been able to back yourself to deliver a high enough service where you feel confident about charging that amount. You're just doing it because your business coach told you that's how much you should be charging, but you haven't developed that confidence and you don't know if you can actually deliver that level of service. Yeah. I'm just going to take a time out for a second as well, because after years, I've come to recognize when Andrew G has his cheeky grin on. So what were you, what were you smiling about? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just laughing to myself thinking. You don't, um, you don't start your first game of football um, in the NFL Super Bowl, do you? So yeah, you are, right. have to you have to really cut your teeth earlier on and learn the game. So, you know, selling a top of the line 5 to 10K fitness program for 12 weeks, that's effectively what you're doing. Um, and if you've got no starting point to do that, you just really, you're playing a game that's very, very big. And as you said, AP, it's possible to do, but it's just extremely unlikely that you're going to have the success that you want and even more so on paid ads because you're taking people from a cold traffic customer to, yeah. you know, the end. I was just going to say, there's always possibilities of doing anything, right? There's people out there that can do stuff and they're extraordinary individuals. But if you want to play the odds, don't play a stacked deck like that. I mean, you're better to start off at a level that's been proven on a scale by people that are running their own successful fitness business. You don't want to try and copy exactly what people that have a large amount of celebrity status and success online are doing because you you don't have the same level of clout as they do. You don't have the same level of experience. You don't currently demand the same level of respect. You can get there, but that's just going to take time. When we when we first started, our starting ticket price, I think we did a 12, it was a 12 week program and it was $50 a week. So we, we started at $600 a week and we sold um, 19 of them and made 10K in our first week, right? So, you know, it is possible. And like, you know, as I said, like we got there by playing the game. We started from scratch. We didn't have detailed coaching on how to do this stuff. We figured it out for ourselves. And we got to where we are now over time, learning and so much trial and error. And then if you really think about it, if you have like your a way of delivering your coaching to clients in a streamlined fashion, each client should really take you about 30 minutes a month to take care of. So you're really thinking about it like you're selling a $1,500 package, right? And if you have a process dialed in, like you can afford to start by selling it like $1,200 just to learn the process and refine the, your, your, your delivery because if you have a system, it really should only take you about 30 minutes a month to take care of the clients that you, each client that you have. Yeah. And that's like max. And that's really going above and beyond for each client. <laughs> Think well, about that. This leads in really well to your question, Iggy, which is, this is the last one of the six. And then we'll get into answering the questions from the live feed. And it's what should I include in my online fitness program so that the value matches the price tag? So let's just say that we're setting a program value that's approximately anywhere between 1500 and say 2500 What's what, what, what comes with that? 
So the essentials that you want to have, it's going to be, it's going to depend, but here's the ultimate things that are like, I consider non-essential, right? You need to have enough in there to where you're going to be delivering some type of result in a, in a streamlined fashion. So you need to have a way to provide people some type of like nutritional coaching. It could be habits. It could be customized nutrition plans. It could be giving them recipes or whatever it is. Like you need nutritional protocol in it because that's going to be 80% of people's results is how they're eating. So if you can, you need to include that. I have, we include some type of exercise or activity regimen to get people moving. It doesn't have to be a workout program. It could just be our model is we teach our clients is get it in where you can fit it in. So we tell them like move your body at least a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes a day. So that could be their workout. It could be going for a walk. It could be walking your dog. It could be doing jumping jacks, whatever it is. Like you just want to have a way to get people and encourage your clients to like actually move and be active. And then you need to have a way to uh, hold people accountable. So like a weekly accountability form, it could be a weekly check-in, whatever it is, but you need a way to hold people accountable. And then you need a way to provide people support. So that could be a support channel. It could be Voxer. It could be Slack. It could be Weez like PTD. It could be a Facebook, Facebook group, whatever it is. But those are like the main things that you need to have in order to be able to like justify that price point and be able to deliver it and feel confident about it. Cause you know, you can get people results. If you've given them a nutrition protocol, you're getting them to move their body consistently. And then you're providing them a way of holding them accountable and giving them support. Those are like the four essentials that you really need. There's a ton of different nuances that can go into like making it really world-class and making it as good as possible. Well, those are like my general like four non-negotiables with any. Iggy, let's say, for example, I'm rookie again to online fitness. I'm a successful coach, personal trainer, what, whatever, you know, face-to-face. Now I want to go online to do the things that you just outlined. Like if I'm a hard worker, a disciplined and focused worker, how long is it actually going to take me to start from zero online and actually set up what you just said, roughly? If you're a hard worker, you could probably have it. Our clients are just somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're doing. So if you don't know what you're doing, it's going to take you forever. Like you're going to be spinning your wheels trying to figure it out. As far as our clients go, they can have the things that they need to be taking on clients set up in about a day, right? They can have like their onboarding automated, a couple weeks of content ready to go and have those main things. You can have it set up in a day. And if you're really slow and you just want to take your time or you don't really understand the tech and you're like a technophobe. You probably have it set up in a in a few days to a week. Okay. So let's say like even if it's like the worst case scenario, we're talking maybe one week or just a little bit more than that. Yeah. Okay. If that's the priority they're working on. We have some a lot of questions coming through. I can see Tikus has sent us a bunch of great ones through. So let's just start from the top. Jay, this is for you. Do you suggest doing paid ads for a beginner then? And I guess you did kind of answer that, but anything else you'd add? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's like that's a skill you requ- require to really grow and scale your business because you know organically you reach a ceiling and if you do want to build a big business with consistency Ziggy likes to call it um making boring money you need to you know you need paid ads at some point in time so i think starting with paid ads is great but only once you've got some level of branding up and going now branding can be done very very quickly it's not it doesn't have to take long you have to have the right idea you have to have something that people want and you have to be able to sell it through you know the way you present it through video or through copy 
And once you've kind of nailed those things and people really want what you have, running ads is just easy and the cost of everything, your leads, messages, people hitting your landing page, conversion, sales, everything is just cheaper once you have something really, really good quality and premium that you deliver. Yeah. This is something that we learn the hard way as coaches because mm-hmm. we have people starting uh, beginners who started running ads in the beginning just because we didn't really know any better who didn't have their brand optimized or even set up to for conversion, right? And so we started to see that when we started running ads, we started to see some results and some clients started running ads and they started seeing results. And it wasn't until we went through and really analyzed who was really doing good and who was really struggling. And the common denominator was the guys who were killing it, their brands were awesome. Guys who were struggling, their brands weren't very good, right? So before you start running ads, you definitely need to have your brand. Like that's the most essential thing you can have dialed in. So important to the point where we brought on a coach who exclusively helps people (laughs) set up their brand. So like super quick, what what like what are some of the basic components of a good or a bad brand? Like if my brand sucks, what are the some of the most like common things that I'm doing wrong? I say the first thing is it's not clear. Yep. It's not, it's not defined who you help. That's a big thing. I notice when people come to me and they tell me about it in the sales call is that they say what they do and it's not clear. They might say, check out my Facebook or my Insta page. And I'm like, I don't even know who you help. I've got no idea. That's a bad start. Yeah, they're trying to. Their name is. They're they're trying too hard to have their name be sexy and and yep. and, and and cool. <laughs> yeah. We don't like, know what it is. Yeah. That's the first it's, mistake. It's really it common is. to see great photos, and they don't mean anything because, like, I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do. Like, if I go on and I see really amazing like photos, and I think. Yeah, but I don't think that this is the right place for me. There's no clarity on that. That's a, that's a bad start. And I would even say myself that incongruence is another thing. So when people are pretending that they give a shit helping people with a certain brand that they really don't have any passion for, and you can just see that leaching through their posts, their video content, et cetera, there has to be some sort of genuine connection that you can have with your brand. Otherwise, people are going to feel that disconnect. The, the biggest the biggest thing overriding nearly everything else for me is people need to feel like, you know, you need to be delivering your customers an identity shift, right? A lot of the time you have brands that are focusing on yourself and you're the hero of the story. And, you know, unless you have a very compelling story, you know, often that's a very hard thing to push, particularly when you're doing, you know, you're running ads, right? So, what we, you know, in all of our brands, we really focus on taking someone's identity and from where they are now, either to something they haven't had before or back in the past. So when you look at hypothyroidism, a lot of the time, these women have never been able to lose weight and we show them the way to do that. And they become the person they've always wanted to be. With menopause, they've gone through menopause, they've bought, their life has changed. And now they don't have the same identity that they used to and they want to go back. Same with fit over 50. 50 year olds want to feel like they're 30 again. So all of these things. And when you make your branding like client centric, that, you know, your prospects are reading about themselves. When they read the copy, it's about hitting all the pain points that they're experiencing and then offering the solution to those pain points. That's world-class branding. That, and just make sure that it looks like it's in from 2020, because I see so many people <laughs> try those things. It looks like it's from, you know, 1990, um, at the dawn of the internet. And, uh, 
that's a pretty critical aspect of it, that things need to just look sharp, new, and, you know, beautiful people like beautiful things, right? And everyone wants to be beautiful. So you've got to have something that looks good. Well, we're talking about visual and Jack's just asked a question that I'm going to jump on the queue. How important is your logo? You know, I'm going to, you said logo slash branding, but let's just say your logo in attracting clients. I think the, the there's a few little elements to the logo. Like what a lot of people try and do with their, um, their branding on Facebook, like the little um, image that you use in Facebook, for example, is they'll often um, try to put writing there. And when they put writing there, it people can't read it, they can't see it. It needs to be something very clear that explains what it is that you're doing. In saying that, like you can have something super, super generic, like a dumbbell, and people just look at it and go, oh, this is a fitness program. So it just needs to be congruent. It just needs to make sense with what you know what you're doing like for fit over 50 we literally have a giant o like a circle with 50 in the middle and that's it and it's just it's not the sexiest thing in the world it's not the best looking thing in the world but it does look sharp and it says exactly what the business is yeah the logo needs to be clear and it can't have too much going on in it right it, it just can't be too involved and it has to be like high quality right like invest in actually having your logo professionally made by either somebody on Fiverr or a designer, like have it done right, because this is something that you're going to have for however long you're going to be running your business. It's not one of those things where you want to try and go and like do it on your own, unless you're a graphic designer. I say bite the bullet, have somebody on Fiverr do it right so that you actually have something that's high quality and it looks really good. This is, this is such a fun thing to poll your friends, family, and just like contacts on Facebook. Like I've seen this a number of times over the years where a designer's made like a mock-up of designs and the business owner, they might ask their sort of, you know, small sort of community offline, hey, what do you think? And they get like two or three favorites and they'll do a post, hey, who prefers this, this and this, A, B or C? And then like I've seen like 50 plus people just posting that one, that one, that one. So you don't even have to go with their advice, but it can be interesting to get other people's opinions as well, just so you see what other people think visually stands out to them. And it kind of like almost pre-launches your brand a little bit anyway, by just kind of putting a fun post out there that's really easy for people to engage on. It does. It's, it's one of the most powerful organic posts you can actually make is asking people their feedback on <laughs> your logo. He did it recently. He had heaps of interaction on the post. I didn't even know if he listened, but uh, I didn't see what he chose in the end. But like, I, I was reading it and I had the urge to go and put my answer in as well. So it's just a bit of fun. Yeah, people like polls and people like sharing their opinions. So use it as an opportunity to do market research and then generate some free leads for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Now, Arnold, thank you for your question, which is just basically a follow-up of what um, Tika's asked with the the organic for, um, for uh, sorry, uh, paid ads for beginners. So I think that's been well and truly covered now. Tika's has asked an interesting one. Um, does price matter in terms of country? It, it, it definitely does. Having said that, though, I mean, you know, we, we are used to dealing with certain uh, countries more, more so than others. So definitely we have a huge amount of experience dealing with Australia, New Zealand, US, Canada, UK, Ireland, and then even, you know, some Asian countries like Singapore, you know, including Hong Kong and then, you know, Sweden, Finland, that kind of stuff. But I mean, I'm going to ask you this one, G, because you help a lot of people with the marketing on the front end. What's been your perception of this? You just got to, you've got to pick the right price point for different countries. Like you're always going to hit problems. Like price is going to talk at some level on things like, you know, you can't go um, to a poor African country and try and sell 5K fitness programs, right? It's just yeah. like- A USD. Yeah, that's right. So 
you know, I find that for the most part, whether it's Australia, the UK, um, the US, all the price points are relatively similar. Um, there's not too much difference. And it really, I think more so the real question you should be asking is your belief about your product on your calls and the quality of the call that you're delivering. Mm -hmm. Because if your sales team is better, that's probably something more so to focus on with, you know, your price point and also how much people want your program when they jump on the call, your branding. And if you nail those two things, they're more important than the location that you're using within reason. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and we've got a question here from uh, Jen, so on Grant's team, do you have baseline pricing recommendations for a variety of countries? Yeah, I mean, we do. We've got some pretty simplistic ones. So, as I said earlier, we usually recommend that people in Australia, New Zealand, uh, US, Canada, they start at roughly 250 a month um, in their native currency uh, for their, their foundation, sort of lower tier program, and then roughly about 400 a month their premium. Now, if you come in already as an established business owner, you could even go to maybe 350 and 500. We just have to find the range that you're comfortable with and obviously the value that you can get behind. Um, that's the first thing. Now, if we're talking about um, UK Ireland, maybe roughly about 60% of that in pounds would be about right as well. And these are all just rough figures, guys. But we do have baseline pricing that we give to our members when they first start based on what we've found has worked in those countries. And of course, we've done a lot of testing. Okay, let's go to the next question. Okay, good one from Tikus. AP, should you ever outsource sales when starting out? Uh, if you're a beginner, almost always no, unless you are so bad at sales that you're not going to be able to make any. There's a major problem when you outsource your sales early on. It's that salespeople that are good are sometimes hard to find and they need to be paid well. Usually we're talking, they need to be attracted by like at least the promise of getting to six figures. And if you can't provide an environment where they can do it, that's if they're on commission only. But if you can't provide an environment where you can give them enough leads, which is hard to do when you're starting out, and enough good quality leads, which takes a bit of time to work out your systems on a marketing front, a branding front, you know, all that kind of stuff, what's going to happen is you're going to go through a really frustrating process where you're going to bring on someone who's a, a B or a C or a D player. They're going to burn those precious leads that you've paid for, and they're going to completely destroy any of the money that was in your bank account. That's the first step. Now, the next thing is, if you get a good closer and they start closing deals, they're going to get the shits because you're not providing them enough quality volume as well of leads, and they're going to leave you. They're going to have no loyalty to you, and it's going to be a completely horrible experience. Now, I, I sound like I'm sort of being pretty pretty passionate about this, but it's because if somebody comes on and to our program, and they say, I don't like sales, I want to get rid of it. If I believe that they have the ability to sell, I just think to a certain extent, it's just, look, suck it up. And you need to get a coach first, a VA and a coach. Why? Those industries are a lot lower priced. So you can get a great coach, at least in Australia, for anywhere between 60 and 70K. I'm assuming in the US, it's far less than that, Iggy, because their minimum wage is lower. What can you get a good coach for starting out in the US? $50 a month per client. Well, give me give me an annual target, roughly. Like I'm like, that's really, you can get a good coach and pay them $50 a month per client. I mean, no and annual that's target. So, that, that's so low. That, so, but this is the thing though. So I mean, why would you go to a salesperson first when you can get someone who can come in, work 20 hours a week, 40 hours a week, and they can get you out of that task so that you can start really keeping the profitability in the business by training yourself on sales, working into a system. Now, if you have major anxiety problems, major 
personality or confidence issues that are really sort of at odds with selling, then we may have to find a solution there, which is sometimes challenging. But if you just don't want to do sales because you're being lazy, sometimes you just have to earn the right to get to that position. You just have to kind of, you know, you have to kind of get to that level where you have the ability to take yourself off calls and outsource yourself. Yeah. AG, then- you, you did sales for about the first 12 months and then eventually we moved you out of that. And that was a really big first step. Uh, but we had to get to that point. Mm. Yeah. And then the other thing you got to consider with that is if you really don't want to do sales and you're starting out, you're not going to be able to find a, a world-class closer that you mm-hmm. unless you're able to guarantee them those leads. So an option some people have done is they have friends who are really good, excellent communicators who are great, who have those natural people skills and just kind of excel in that area. And they partner up with them to, to start their business. So that's a real legitimate option. But that also comes with golden handcuffs, where if you're starting a business and you're partnering up with somebody, that's a long-term relationship and it can get ugly if things don't work out. So it's one of those things where either you develop the skill, suck it up and develop the skill and earn the right to be able to like remove yourself from it, or you take on the risk of hiring somebody who has no loyalty to you and trying to keep them on even though you don't have the the volume to be able to pay them, or you potentially partner up with somebody who's able to just focus on that aspect of the business in the beginning. So you don't have to pay them commissions or even guarantee them that it's going to work out. But if they come in and they're able to share in the profits and share in the risk, then you can start it off that way. So those are like some real legitimate options, but they all come with their pros and cons. A couple of other things as well worth considering. For <laughs> businesses, I think going down the sales agency route can be very dangerous because a lot of sales agencies, they don't know how to sell fitness specifically. They know how to sell more like higher ticket business. Um, and it can be very, very damaging. I mean, one of our members tried one recently and it was very, very unsuccessful. And I also think the idea of having an in-house team where you find a high quality individual who you can bring in and train up from the ground up, they need to have great communication skills. They need to be driven. They need to be autonomous. There's certain things that we're looking for here. Good closers tend to be very ambitious, very confident people. They're not people that are shy, that you have to basically, you know, sort of change their personality. That's not going to work. Um, so, and we have on the call right now, I know we have um, Grant and, and Jen. Now, Grant's one of our really successful members who's in a position where he actually has earned the right to bring on a closer. And, you know, Jen is a really high quality individual who's going to get trained into that process. That's an example of it being done right. If you're earning 5K a month, you really shouldn't be even considering this as an option. All right. Hopefully that's been answered effectively. Tikus, have you seen brands outperform others in certain countries? That's an interesting one. I'll take this one. We've worked, obviously, you know, in the US, the UK, Ireland, New Zealand, Australia, and every market definitely has a different feel to it. And, you know, different brands have performed very differently in different countries. What we found is that in Ireland, the UK, there's a much, much, particularly um, England, there's a much, much greater level of trust. You know, you need stronger brand. People need to know who you are. The no-show rate is super, super high unless they really believe in what you offer. So once you go for markets such as thyroid, for example, what ends up happening is those are women who generally they've been burned so many times in the past, so they're more sceptical and they're less likely to buy. And what we found was when we went into other brands that, you know, don't require as much trust, it was much stronger. 
In Australia, for example, with the thyroid market, what we found is, you know, generally women who have thyroid problems are pre-qualified to not have as much money. So what we found in Australia is when we started going more so with the thyroid um, stuff that we can hit the very middle of the market, even the lower part of the market, and they can still pay us $1,800 for a program. Whereas if we try and sell a program in the United States for $1,800 for women with thyroid problems, we find there's a, there's a little bit more resistance and there's a little bit more difficulty because our point that which we're aiming at is the middle of the market. So when you're taking this sort of stuff into account, you want to think about your your brand, your business, and who is it that you're trying to work with? Because every country has different things. Like in Australia, the um, medium amount of all the disposable income that we have is what, number one, number two in the world. Then you look at the United States and, you know, you have a huge divide in that the top of the population have a huge amount of money and then the bottom of the population have not much money at all. So those are kind of the things that I generally take into account, like who you're targeting, your niche, your market, are they busy professionals? Are they women struggling with depression or thyroid problems or anything like that? And take that into account. I know like this is just a slight topic off it, but you know, I think we've also witnessed as well that would you agree either of you that typically Australian branding as an example seems to be a little bit more reserved than US branding? Like I've noticed a lot of the American sort of brands, they're very big, loud, and like full of energy. Um, a lot more kind of, I guess, character spills out into their videos. Whereas that can sometimes be a bit repulsive to Australian market. Whereas I presume that sometimes Australian marketing seems boring in the US. Definitely witnessed that before. Iggy, what's your experience on that? For me, it's like, it comes down to knowing your market. You know, for yeah. me, I know I can confidently market to an American because I know what makes us tick. I'm an American, <laughs> you know, so I can't confidently market in Australia because I don't know like the person general personality of the country. I mean, I kind of get the, the idea now after spending a ton of time with you guys, but, um, <laughs> but generally you got to know your market and know what makes them tick and whether or not they're generally like more conservative or they're more expressive. Um, the more information you can gather on that, the better you can confidently market, but that's definitely a real thing. Cause in the U S very big on entertainment. There are a ton of big personalities. The people that you see on TV need to be charismatic, need to be able to like communicate with their hands, <laughs> yeah. things like that. So you'll find a lot of like brands and celebrities who fit that bill generally. And you'll see that that type of communication does bode well online, especially if you're marketing in the, in the US. I think it it's social cues as well. Social cues. Like you think about it, there's little sort of social um, dynamics and phrases and things like that. Like Iggy, you'll have, end every session being like deuces and I didn't know what that means. And then, you know, we'll be like, see you, mate, you know, like in our Aussie accent. <laughs> or a legend. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We've been calling Portigas a legend. He didn't even know what we meant, which means, by the way, like cool person, whatever. But, you know, you have to understand, being able to understand those little kind of minute details of a culture can really help you connect. And it doesn't even have to be a culture. It can be a country. It can be a niche, can be a certain demographic of the market. Certain people speak in certain ways and they relate to people that speak and at least who act similar to them. It's that whole mirroring concept. So that can help you connect more as well as a brand. Exactly. And that's where knowing your audience is so important. Like we can't stress mm -hmm. it enough. Like that mirror effect, that love of, or love at first sight you can't create that unless you know who you're trying to appeal to. Like if you don't know your market, if you haven't taken time to really understand your audience, 
like I'll regularly interview some of our clients just to get a better idea on who they are, where they're coming from. If I want to start a new new offer, if I want to launch a different brand, I'm interviewing them to just get that information from them to understand, okay, how do I need to put position this offer so that it appeals to this specific type of person, right? And if you don't take time to do that and you just think you're going to be able to set up a brand and start running ads and everything's going to be blue skies and rainbows, (laughs) you're in for a rude awakening. Like It takes work to do some research and really understand your market and who who your ideal client is and what makes them tick and what's going to be the best way to to attract them and let them know that hey as soon as they see what you have to offer they're like wow this is the brand for me this is the this is this is it cool now um we've had uh, arnold's clarified he said essentially how can we gather data from our existing clients so that we can write copy that will speak to our future clients I kind of just touched on this. We have a a client interview worksheet where we actually, if you have an existing client, especially if you, if you're a personal trainer and you've worked with people in person, this is like the, you have an incredible asset that you can leverage to start your online business. You can interview current in-person clients or former in-person client and pick the people with the personalities that you want to be able to attract online. And take them through like our client interview worksheet where you can actually ask them some targeted question where they're essentially giving you literally all the marketing materials that you need. (laughs) And you just got to take good notes, record the session and take good notes. And now you have all the things that you can use in your copy, in your landing page, in your ads, in your videos. You have different things, different topics that you can that you can create assets around to do a lot of marketing. Um, and it, it, it allows you to quickly eliminate that guessing process where you're like trying to guess who your ideal client is and you're trying to theoretically think about what they want and what their needs are, where you can just ask the person who resembles the exact avatar that you want, get the words straight from the horse's mouth, put it down, and then start weaving that throughout your entire brand or and marketing process. Amazing session, guys. Yep. All right, easy. Well, we'll leave it there, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you got a lot of value out of this session. It was obviously designed to help people with some of the the clarity that you may be looking for regards to going online and crushing it. So if you do have any further questions, by the way, you know, you can drop them below and we're more than happy to discuss things further with you there or even on a 15 minute phone call that we can organize as well. Do we want to put a link for that phone call somewhere, guys? Yeah, let's drop it in the in the comment for those who want like a 15-minute discovery session just to chat about goals and where they're at and what it would look like to get to where they want to be. I mean, ultimately, if you want to do that, guys, it's a super like low-key session. It's it's basically just to kind of find out where you're at and if you're in a position where you actually have uh, a business that is in a position where you are possibly open to getting some help. Um, and if you find yourself in that situation um, and you want to take that call, uh, we can find that out together and, and go from there if, if it's looking like a good fit. All right. We got one last question that dropped in before we close out. What's for dinner? Steak, rice, and broccoli. That's what's for dinner. I'm very much <laughs> looking that? forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's Tiku's. Okay. So that's, wait, so Iggy, is that how you grow biceps that big? <laughs> Absolutely. You don't, you don't get these being a vegetarian. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Straight up, straight up NFL genetics. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. All right, take care.